Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and myself continue our discussion on the Lord's Supper, but we add a special guest. Pastor Brady is here to join us from the Missouri Center. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and we don't have our usual... We have uh, suspects here. We, but have we have some, and we have a new one, yes. too. So I'm Pastor Jason Goodham. Pastor Brian Rickey and... Pastor Brady Finnern. Yeah, Brady is a guest of ours from the Missouri Synod, who uh, is a friend of the podcast. He listens to the podcast, and in spite of all that, he decided to join <laughs> us at our invitation yes. uh, to, to enhance our understanding of communion. We've kind of alluded to it and mentioned to it, uh, mentioned it directly mm-hmm. a couple times. But of the areas, Super secretive, right? yeah, yeah, of the areas where AFLC and uh, LCMS have some of the most disagreement as far as practice comes, happens to be Holy Communion, where uh, we have two Lutheran bodies that handle communion in, in kind of significantly different ways, and we wanted to bring in mm-hmm. Brady to clear up some misunderstandings and to make some explanations, and so we're very happy to have you, Brady. Mm-hmm. Now, question for you, is it too far of a stretch to call you <laughs> the most important LCMS pastor ever? <laughs> we just want to get some street cred for the podcast. Is that right, Brady? Is that... Well, you're feeding my natural narcissism, so I'll yeah, say, I'll right. say, yeah, let's do it. Let's it's, go that it's, way. It's, yeah. it's Walther and Keeper oh, and then Finnern, right? Wow. <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll take it somewhere down the line. Yes, thank you for that. I appreciate. I'm sure, that. a lot of yeah. the nice. Price family. Yeah, 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 there's yeah. A few more of them. Yeah. So, no, I'm just. Uh, I suppose I'll explain who I am. Yeah, yeah tell us yeah, a little about yeah, yourself. Please, where you're at, what you do. Well, I'm, I'm a pastor in Sartell, Minnesota, which is central, right by St. Cloud, and been there for about nine years. Oh, obviously, I'm a Missouri Synod pastor. Went to seminary in St. Louis. Actually, I went to uh, ELCA College, Gus Davis Adolphus College, mm-hmm. and learned, uh, as one of the professors said, well, you're just enjoying some liberalism before you go back to conservatism. <laughs> um, but I grew up in Wadena. My dad's a Missouri Synod pastor, and um, and that's part of the connection with it. We're talking about this AFLC. There's a... Mm-hmm. Uh, free Lutheran churches in Wadena and Bluegrass. Yeah. If anybody knows, you know, not many people know there is a Bluegrass. But anyway, so I had some connections with that, some friends, and um, always been intrigued by looking at different denominations. So actually, mm-hmm. when I was in college, I asked for information on the seminary in Plymouth. Mm-hmm. I actually received a packet, the whole deal. They kept sending me letters thinking I was interested in joining you. <laughs> guys, but, uh, for me, I was just fascinated to see um, some of the similarities yep. that you talk about, yeah, right. ministry and... and um, and other basic principles. So I've always kept in in check with that, but always excited and met Jason online. I know a few other AFLC mm-hmm. pastors and very blessed to be with you guys here today. Awesome. Right. And you're, you're also involved with a program called Doxology. Yes. You want to tell us a little bit about yep. that? Um, Doxology is the Spiritual Care and Council, Lutheran Spiritual Care and Council. And so we focus a lot on the role of pastor being a curate or a zeozorga mm-hmm. of souls, mm-hmm. um, so caretaker. And so we really focus on how to equip pastors, maybe that's not the right word, but to mm-hmm. to encourage pastors to continue in that role, uh, to care for the, the, shep- the sheep, um, to be good shepherds, and to uh, see everything. Like you guys talk about a lot mm-hmm. is uh, the effectiveness of the Word of God mm-hmm. to do what you do. So at the end of the day, how do I know I've done my work? I've mm-hmm. used the Word of God in the care of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. Awesome. www.doxology.us. 
There you go. You, 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 uh, you achieved your contractual obligation. I got it. As a yeah, fellow. Sign me up. Yeah, sign me up. Nice. Nice. Well, it's great to have you here, Brady. And, and I think for us, too, it's, it's good to, to have conversations like this. And we don't have to be afraid to talk to each other. And, and uh, I think we can sharpen each other. And so it, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you, you, you kind of end up, when you talk to your own kind of people for so long, you always mm-hmm. end up kind of existing in an echo chamber yeah. where you're only speaking with people who naturally agree with you and who naturally share your context. And I think it's good to get all of ourselves mm-hmm. out of our comfort zone sure. a little bit and, and kind of think about things. So uh, for, for those who are on the outside of the Missouri Synod looking in, and I know we have several Reformed listeners to the podcast, mm-hmm. and we have a handful of AFLC people who still listen to us, <laughs> uh, why don't you give us, give us a, a lowdown on the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod as kind of an overview? Can you? Oh my! Yeah, yeah right. You know, was, was an organization of like three million people and in not, forty-five not, seconds or less. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so actually about two million. People. Oh, okay, overestimated um, it. Over six thousand congregations, thirty-five different districts. Um, founded in the eighteen forties from Saxony, Germany, they came over mm-hmm. to Missouri. And one of the big things that makes us distinct in this way among Lutherans is that we've always subscribed to the whole Book of Concord. And so um, other different church bodies would say, well, the, the Augsburg Confession, the small catechism. That's and AFLC. So, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so we would say, we've been in the whole book of Concord. Well, the problem for all of us, including us pastors, is that's a big book. Mm-hmm. And how <laughs> yeah, am I going right. to subscribe to this and make sure I'm going after it? So we've always taken our confessions very seriously in our two seminaries in St. Louis and Fort Wayne. We have uh, uh, nine um, Concordia universities throughout the, throughout the nation that do a lot of... Uh, um, you know, witness and so forth. But the big thing that we're, we're centered on, we have a congregational autonomy, um, which is a little bit different than the AFLC, meaning each congregation is separate. We can't tell them what to do, but at the same time, we have a, a kind of a weird bishop system that also can assign <laughs> pastors and have certain rules and doctrinal oversight. And our big thing really is, how do we stay faithful to the Word of God according to the confessions and to make that uh, um, that we're always faithful in what that has to say? And we can have a perception. I mean, I, I dealt with this when I went to Gustavus, that we're kind of the fuddy-duddies in, in the world and, uh, <laughs> you know, from Germany, nice. yeah. and so we're very well known for that. So it's it's kind of a... It's a wonderful place to be. It's uh, sometimes trying in a place like Minnesota where it's kind of all over the board as mm-hmm. far as uh, biblical integrity. But um, it's a joy because what we're able to say is when we say you're forgiven, um, we mean it because that's what Scripture says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Great. we In Christ, of course. In yeah. Christ. Mm-hmm. Cool. I, I think it's quite interesting. It, it, one of the ways you can trace the differences between AFLC, Brett, Brian, and my group, and your group in the Missouri Synod, is kind of the ethnic origins. You mentioned mm-hmm. you guys are the particularly German Lutherans, having, uh, you know, was it, was it, who is the guy that started sending over the missionaries? Is that Leia? Le- yeah, Le- Leia. Yep. Leia. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, settling in there by the Missouri River in Missouri and, and building out from St. Louis, kind of. Mm-hmm. And the AFLC is what is left of the Norwegian Lutherans mm-hmm. that didn't get swallowed up by bigger denominations like the ELCA. And so um, one of the reasons we give, and it's entirely historically accurate, for not 
subscribing to the whole book of Concord is that the Norwegians historically saw some of the confessional documents in the book of Concord as specifically German documents. Mm. And so it's, uh, I think there's some confusion when we say we subscribe to the unaltered Augsburg confession and the small catechism, we are not saying we reject everything else, but those were the particularly Norwegian documents in that. And then especially small how, called. How Norwegian can Augsburg <laughs> well, German, yeah. right. well, it's, uh, the story goes that King Christian of Denmark saw the Augsburg Confession. He's like, "That is enough. Where you know anything mm-hmm. else beyond that was keep it, too keep hard." It and and yeah. the Germans were fighting with each other. And then you know Luther stoked the flames with the small called articles, which are you know really laid back and peaceable, like Luther is <laughs> prone to be, or right. not at all. Uh, and then the Formula of Concord came so many years later, and by then. Uh, the Scandinavians all had their own problems anyway. Um, so it, it makes for an interesting mm-hmm. lineage mm-hmm. when you look right. at it that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, one other thing, and, and again, we're putting you on the spot here a little bit. I want you to describe the term because this will incite some allergic reactions for people in the AFLC. Describe the term synod. Synod. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Ooh, wow. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Um, yeah. Yeah, that would been great <laughs> if you would have brought that up during lunch. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. I, I was keeping that one in my back pocket. <laughs> well, first of all, it can be confusing because in our, it's Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which is for our whole church body. In the ELCA, it's, it's in reference to what we would call districts. Yeah. And so people get really mixed up on what exactly that is. But for us, we would say it's walking together. And so Lutheran Church, Missouri, which is where we're founded, and Synod showing that this is a, a group that's walking together, specifically theologically speaking. And so that's kind of how we, how we look at it. Um, when we use the word concordia, that means brotherhood, unity. So we have kind of those two terms that really we see synonymous, uh, uh, synonymous of, of walking together and a brotherhood that walks together according to theology. That's what I would say. Great. Thank you. I think that helps. We, we get a lot of... Uh, in in AFLC context, everything synod represents a hierarchical church mm-hmm. government mm-hmm. structure, right. and in our congregational autonomy, like you put it, or independence, that that's you know akin to like electing a, or to having a king of the United States. It just right. wouldn't work that way, you know. Right. So. Or you, they would think that synod is basically Satan. You know, so, <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to, to <laughs> dull yeah. the blow. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to dull that blow, but well. <laughs> and, and I think as we're talking about church government here, it's important that we all get out of the way that church polity or church government is adiaphora. Mm-hmm. It is not prescribed in scripture as such as one way is better than another way. What the AFLC do, is doing, we are doing in our attempt to be as faithful to the scriptures as we can. What the Missouri Synod is doing is your attempt to be as faithful to the scriptures as you understand how best to care for congregations and the souls that make up those congregations. And so, you know, we, we ought to not always be lobbing grenades and straw men back and forth, but understanding that this is just our best efforts mm-hmm. for the way we understand uh, how scripture is given to care for souls and congregations based on our own particular contexts. Yeah, and we're very bound by history. Uh, for example, like you said you came out of uh, the Norwegian um, uh, Lutheran churches in America. There was a lot of scandal for us. It was came over from Germany. Mm-hmm. And right away, we come over from America, and the, the founding pastor who wanted to be bishop um, was a guy that was found to be um, 
uh, well, he had a number of women on the side. And so they kicked him across the river. And from there, where we got the congregational autonomy and so forth. So we're very bound by those beginning years where they're trying to handle, what do we do with this? What do we do that our bishop is gone? And he was, uh, you know, he's a womanizer. What do we do? And so we're very bound by that. And how does this all look? Which is mm-hmm. why there's some similarities, I would say, with AFLC in that way. And then, um, but we're also like, well, how do you look at this? Well, we're basing it back to the 1840s and trying to make it still yep. relevant for today. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what makes the polity difficult. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and a lot of what we do, uh, in spite of, you know, we would say our founding father is a man named Georg Sverdrup, who had a vision for the congregation as the highest form of the kingdom of God on earth or the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. It's still part of the context is what they were reacting against was the state church in Norway, mm-hmm. which was a spiritually lifeless uh, hierarchical government position. You know, if you were a pastor in Norway in the 1800s, you essentially had a government job and it was very secure and very lucrative and it didn't lend itself to spiritual life in the congregations. And so uh, a lot of what we do and the way we do it flows out of that uh, reality too in the historical mm-hmm. context. Mm-hmm. Seems like a lot of times changes in different synods and different denominations are our reactions. Yep. You know, unfortunately, to either negative things or to uh, whether it be governments uh, doing that, you know, state churches, vice versa, or denominational differences. It just seems like there's just a lot of reactionism within the splits within America. And I, I think that I think that it, we would all do a little bit better uh, in just really listening to our brothers and mm-hmm. sisters yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, maybe more slow to speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> quick to listen, uh, and slow to get angry, especially in the conversation yeah, about good. about preaching the gospel of Christ, because what is more important than that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you just advocated for the elimination of Twitter. I'm not hey. sure. <laughs> I think that's what you just did. Fantastic. Well, maybe this is a good time to start to get into specifically talking about uh, the Lord's Supper communion. Um, We've been discussing that over the last number of episodes. And one of the reasons we want to talk to Brady today is to compare and contrast and and to start to to look at the scriptures together and to do that in this time. So I don't know, Jason, is there anywhere you want to take it from there? Well, let's start off with the basics. Again, you know, for those listening, we are going to get into closed communion, which is kind of where the differences lie. But I think... Closed or close? Well, closed, closed. How do you pretty well Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Depending on how you want to play with the words and dance around the terms, right? But I, I think, first of all, Uh, Most people who have been listening to this episode arc on communion have a good idea of where the AFLC stands on how we teach communion, Mm -hmm. how we've learned communion. Uh, Let us know, what was your experience in uh, Concordia St. Louis? How were you taught communion as a pastor? And then how were you taught to teach that to your congregation? Well, I mean, going back back to basics is the understanding of... um, you always hear the word real presence, real presence. And I know you guys have talked about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in that sense, there's probably not a, a lot of difference when it comes to how it's being taught. The What is it? It's a, it's a true body and blood, or our Lord Jesus Christ, under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. I mean, this is simple. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, catechism type of talk. And then you go right back to Jesus's words mm-hmm. and say, this is what it is. The One of the big things I remember at seminary was to be able to say, yeah, real presence. And you kind of hear, yeah, I believe that, you know. And then one of my professors um, said that it is the actual body and blood that was on the cross you are receiving now. Like what was there is here now. And kind of an eye-opening experience to, to hear that. Not that you didn't ever believe that, but you never thought about in those terms the understanding of this is the actual um, body and blood of Christ that you're receiving, which is a very serious thing, which changes the way you, you take care of it, how you dispose of it, um, what you do when you go and receive it, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So you have that aspect of it. And then the biggest thing it always came down to us, when you receive it, you receive forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. That that is what is actually happening. That from outside of yourself, apart from your feelings or on your mood that day, is that you receive their forgiveness of sins. How do you know? Because you you drank it, you ate it, it is, it is real. So the real body and blood, the real forgiveness of sins, and when you walk away, you never question. You can't question God and say, I'm not sure if I'm forgiven. You know that you are forgiven, and it has happened here right now. Right. That's a, you know, there's an interesting nuance there. I think part of what we received in our seminary, there was more of an emphasis on the assurance of forgiveness than the actual forgiveness. Mm. At least that's what I mm-hmm. received. Now, we've all taught and confessed on that's here that our like, ministerial acts book. Yeah. It says something like, yeah, yeah don't know it, off the top of my head. It, it adds an extra layer. And like I said, it's nuanced. It's not a, a direct difference. Now, the way I teach it in my congregation, I know you two do as well, it's the actual forgiveness of sins is that when you receive the body and blood of Christ at the altar mm-hmm. during the Lord's Supper, you are receiving forgiveness of your sins. You also can be assured of that again, the the external Mm-hmm. element to that, that it's happening outside of you. So it's yeah, not a subjective yeah. experience. It's something that really happens, but it's interesting to hear it that way. And it really is a jarring image to think about the actual body of blood of Christ that was on the cross is what you're receiving. I don't think a lot of people meditate on that too often. Right. And it certainly uh, does away with any potential symbolic interpretations of what the Lord's Supper might be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think another difference is uh, you talked about disposing of leftover mm-hmm. communion. That's that's something that would probably differ within AF, some AFLC churches. I know that um, our church actually still has a pipe mm-hmm. that goes to the ground. Know, <laughs> uh, it used to be an Augustana um, uh, part of the Augustana Senate, mm. and um, but yeah, that's still you know that's still kind of there. Um, at Hope Lutheran Church, even though we haven't been an AFLC church for really that long, since about 2000. Um, so the, those ideas are still there. Um, whereas the first church I served, you know, they had, you know, you're, I'm, you're probably going to cringe and I'm really sorry, but <laughs> it would just, you know, pour it down the drain, you know. And, and so tell us a little bit more about that, because that really plays off of what you stated, like the actual body and blood that right. was on the cross. Right. And and one of the big things, too, as we talk about this, when I bring this up, you're going to have some varieties within the LCMS, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. And and how it gets disposed is very determined on past pastors, some of the um, traditions that are there, so forth. But in my particular congregation, and the first congregation I served, it was that practice that you'd have one, you have one common cup, and you have the common cup, and then you have individual cups. Okay, and and a lot of times, some churches just kind of they they get it, they they receive it, they go, they put it in a plastic bag, throw it away. Most Missouri Synod churches, at least, are trying to figure out. Okay, there's still Jesus's blood in there. What should we do with this? You know, and so what they do is they'll take 
Um, sometimes they'll put water and they put it into the common cup and then they'll clean it out and then they'll dump it out in rocks outside. That's mm-hmm. what my particular congregation does. I've seen that with a pipe. That's actually mm-hmm. um, very much so uh, old. Um, uh, we see that in German churches back in the day as well. So that's probably one of the biggest things you'll see there. Then you will take whatever has not been used and then you'll have a bottle that says on my, my church, consecrated wine. You know, um, So an understanding of this is... The mm-hmm. blood of Christ here, you know, which is obviously more of a, um, a words of institution, um, a consecrationist view of of the Lord's Supper, which I think a lot of us would would follow, and and with the the, the bread or the the body, then that's that's stored away and known that that's the the body of Christ as well. So you see that quite a bit within our church body. Some are a little more um, stringent on it. I would say you don't have anybody just kind of throwing it out, more or less, but you might have some. I can't say for sure. Does that, that make sense? That's good. Yeah. Great question. It's interesting yeah. to think about these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know a lot of our, our 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 churches came in from a lot of other denominations. Mm-hmm. Uh, most, I would say that I would say a majority of our congregations came in from ELCA uh, denomination or something uh, something like. That. Or to avoid going into the ELCA. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that wasn't obviously stressed near as much. And it's interesting that you know as I grew up, my mom was on. The altar guild mm-hmm. at our church, Missouri <laughs> Senate. I, I was confirmed Missouri Senate, and I always ask, "I'm like, what's what's that pipe for?" Right. You know, and it went down to a group of rocks, and it was, it was the only way to properly dispose of consecrated wine. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the wafers would just be labeled like you had mm-hmm. said, and they would put and store it away. So, yeah, that's kind of what I grew up with. So. And and one of the distinctions that I've seen more now, like at the last uh, Missouri Senate Convention in Milwaukee, is that once the service was done, which was everybody, that all the pastors who helped distribute communion all went up and ate the rest of the elements mm-hmm. and or drank and ate and so forth. So that is a becoming more of a popular thing. Um, which I think I think is a faithful way to go at it as well. I mean, if you, you know, then you have a problem of how much wine is left over, mm-hmm. and you know, no. do you have to teach Bible study after all that kind of <laughs> stuff any faster? You know, well, I, was, <laughs> so. in, I mean, in, not tongue in cheek. That was a real problem in the Roman Catholic Absolutely. Church after yeah, the Reformation. Right, you had right, alcoholic yeah. priests, and that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was my understanding that the the pipe to the dirt was an originally a Roman Catholic invention, mm-hmm. out of necessity of the alcoholic priests who would. Uh. Mm-hmm. Go back into the sacristy mm-hmm. and possible. polish off yeah. what was left. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mm-hmm. have all of those things. It, it makes for more interesting kind of reflection on what is going on at communion that I think, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of our members, and, and this is not intended to be insulting or whatever, but you, you come up, you receive communion, you leave the altar, and you're done with it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, unless you're on the altar guild or, you know, if there's a communion team you don't really think about what happens afterwards. Right, mm-hmm. right. And that's for me when I, I've been in my church for nine years. And one of the things I found out, I thought they took all those plastic cups, because we use plastic cups, little individual cups. I thought they took them, put them in a plastic bag, and dumped, and threw them away. And I was like, okay, I got to deal with this first, this first, and then I'm going to deal with that later. And then I find out just a few years in that they were taking that kind of special care with it, which was, mm-hmm. for me, just really an opportunity. It was men and women we have in our altar guild and just giving thanks to God for them taking that serious, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't promoting it, which was cool to see the history and and, and a proclamation of, of this is what we believe, teach and mm-hmm. confess. Yeah. Right. 
Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I think we're getting to the point where we should probably wrap up this episode and there's so much more to talk about. And yeah. so you'll have to uh, tune in next week to our next episode and uh, we'll get into the, we will get into the close, close, all that stuff. Um, we haven't so, selected our weapons yet. So we, we've right. got to we enter the gladiator. We need to prepare more for our cage match. <laughs> yeah. On. yeah. I've, uh, so anyway, Brian, do you have a verse as we close? I do. I'm okay. not exactly sure why I was led to this, but I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as we continue our discussion on the Lord's Supper. God bless you and have a great week.